Okay, ladies, gentlemen, boys, girls, goofballs, scumbags, and uh, everyone and everything else in between. Y'all know what time it is. We are back at it. This is the Football Misfits, home of the Football Misfits, episode 103. Oof. I am your host with the most, of course. LV, a.k.a. Paper Fronto, a.k.a. Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, a.k.a. Buck Nasty. It is the summertime, and eh, last time I checked, so I'm still El Pistolero. Wouldn't be the football misfits unless I was joined by the other host. The one with the most test, if you will. You've seen his work on the gram. You've seen him on this pod. You've heard him on this pod. He is the one, the only, Mr. Misfits. Y'all may know him as Ronnie, and so do I. Ronnie, say what's good for the one time. What's good for the one time, everybody? We hope you are staying strong and being brave. Boom, pow. And this would not be the Football Misfits without our man at the data desk, Spencer Tino Perez, the Spencyclopedia Britannica. And unfortunately, he is unable to join us today, so we will be data desking ourselves. Now, you know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, jokes aside, uh, Spencer, I believe, is out uh, approving and vetoing new Real Madrid kits. That's what I heard, at least. That's what sources say. Neither here nor there. <laughs> uh, shall we get into the good stuff? The last couple of weeks, we've been following the Women's European Championships, which have been red hot, goals aplenty, if you will. And uh, we had an, an eventful match week two and three or match day two and three i should say like i said last week it was convenient that match day one ended on the sunday we recorded so monday started match day two and the most eventful match of that day was the ass whooping among ass whooping england eight norway no that's need hat trick were fourth with the lionesses Ellen White with a brace on the verge of becoming England's all-time scorer among men and women. She only has Wayne Rooney to beat. And he also had goals coming from Alessia Russo, Lauren Hemp, and a penalty from Georgia Stanway. The way the scoreline was set up, uh, yes, it was absolutely goals aplenty in that match alone. And I think this kind of kicked off a week of... A lot of walking it back for me, uh, you know, uh, many points that came across that, you know, were absolutely, absolutely refuted. Um, come, I mean, come Monday, uh, this England match uh, oh, yeah. against, the Nor- against the Norway team that, uh, you know, are considered very formidable and score plenty of goals themselves. Uh, England definitely put the, the boots on their neck and it just didn't stop. Uh, last week I spoke about Vivian Miedema. I mean, you can't say anything about Beth Mead this this coming week. The things that she did on the pitch, yeesh. Forget goals. I mean, the way she was setting everybody up, it was an incredible affair for the English, for the for the uh, <laughs> Norwegians, I guess. You can't say as much, can you? I agree with the walking back point because I mentioned that in the opener, England didn't look, for lack of a better term, convincing. They looked like they needed to tighten some things up. but they put all that to rest against Norway. Like you said, a formidable team. They traditionally are one of the best women's teams in the world. And they got smoked, 8 nothing. This is single-handedly Norway's worst ever defeat. And it brought akin to Brazil 1, Germany 7 because of oh, one of the historic 
powerhouses. They're a giant, and they're just getting walloped. A great shout because in that in that Brazil Germany match uh, in the World Cup in uh, 2014 was it? Yeah, you know things went off the rails so fast, and it felt you know the same here where you know I'm not sure if this happened for you, but when I was watching, I was just sitting there in disbelief, like, okay, it's not gonna they're not gonna continue on, are they? They're not gonna keep scoring, and this is all in the first half, and it felt the exact same way here with uh, with Norway. In England, it felt like England just, it looked like they were playing against themselves. Everything worked for them. And all in this first half, this first period, if I'm not mistaken, they scored, uh, six. was it six goals? Yeah, six goals in the first half. <laughs> it was unbelievable, unreal stuff. And it was hard to watch, but also very entertaining, <laughs> to be fair. No, it definitely was. But yeah, that would be my um, comparison. You, you would never expect for Norway, of all teams, just to lack so much especially defensively i just couldn't believe like yeah sure england might could have won it going into it but eight nothing i wouldn't have thought of that and norway put themselves so far back austria put themselves in the driver's seat thanks to their win over northern ireland absolute truth those kind of matches obviously you can never expect will happen i'm sure the english didn't feel in a million years they'd win in that fashion they came in to win i'm sure both sides did but Everything on the day was for the English, and it, and it was because Ellen White was getting in front of everything, every cross, uh, most of them from Beth Mead, by the way, who, uh, when, when you have everybody on their game and not making a step wrong, and even in those instances, you don't necessarily win in that fashion. And so it's one of those moments where everything goes right and every chance basically hits the back of the net. At the end of the day, a hat trick, uh, the fourth hat trick for Beth Mead, who in this match just continues to show why she might be the best player. I mean, I won't say at this tournament, but you could argue it. The way she assists and causes such problems on the wing and creates for Ellen White and the forwards for England and just brings, just attracts so much attention. And on their day, I mean, I think the English here showed that, hey, you better, you better watch your back. No, absolutely, and we've been learning about Beth Mead, like, even before the start of the tournament, like, yo, watch out for Beth Mead, and she could be dangerous at this Euro. Five goals already this tournament. She's definitely making a run for top scorer, and if we're doing a best 11 for the Euros right now, without question, she's on it. Absolutely. Five goals and three assists. I mean, that's eight goal contributions alone in three, in three matches. That's ridiculous. Exactly. And probably the first game, England needed to feel themselves a little bit. <laughs> Norway, <laughs> the Norway game, they're like, all right, we are, we're in this. We already got a feel for it. Now let's just, you know, no mercy. No mercy at all. And, you know, all those things that we mentioned last week about did England uh, kind of set themselves up for failure playing in such a big atmosphere, be that as it may, uh, it didn't, sh- uh, sh- you know, shake their confidence whatsoever especially coming into a match against, as you said, a powerhouse, a team that you wouldn't expect this to happen to. And this is the moment, I think, for me, where they really stamped themselves as the team. Um, I won't go so far as say the team to beat, but they are earning their, their status as potential favorites for this tournament. They could bring it back home, especially on hey, the backs man. of you know Beth Mead. And uh, I, I, know, I know you are not a fan of that uh, chant for the men. I, know, I, I was, I was going to say, I was going to say, um, I told H-Man, A.O., it looks like it's coming home. It's like, ha, ah, very funny. I'm like, hmm, you don't think it's coming home? 
<laughs> no, I think I'm serious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, oh, and another thing when it comes to England, and specifically Beth Mead, once England starts scoring, it's like, a, oh, y'all scoring? Bet. Because against Northern Ireland on match day three, Fran Kirby got the proceeding started. She scored a goal in the 40th. And then literally like two, three minutes later, Beth Mead scores. The, the second for England, so it's like, oh, we're scoring, scoring. I bet, say less. Boom, fifth goal of the <laughs> tournament, and then they end With up the running six. riot on right, and they end up running riot on Northern Ireland, five nothing, fourteen goals in the tournament. England are a force. That's more goals than you'll see in a lot of tournaments as a whole. Um, you know, so that that's that's pretty pretty incredible there, um, and they definitely are a force. So. Uh, you can't even say watch out for them because <laughs> I think they've announced themselves, uh, especially in these last two match weeks. Uh, they topped the group, of course, uh, in Group A easily, if yeah. you will. I mean, if you go by goal difference, putting up Bayern Munich in the Champions League numbers, nothing like <laughs> you know, nothing crazy, some light. Uh, that's if you're counting 14 goals for, no goals conceded uh, in the in the group stage. Austria, as you mentioned, uh, were able to capitalize on Norway's heavy-ass defeats. They would finish second, which would have England and Austria both moving on to the knockout rounds. They Norway beat Norway fought. themselves, Austria. And I feel like this was a test. I've been asking for like the better part of two, three weeks before the start of match day three. Could Austria or Northern Ireland take advantage and come out in second? Everyone was like, no, Norway is one of the best teams in the world historically. But it's a what are you doing for me right now type of situation. Austria were the semifinalists last time around. Austria have been here before, even though it was only one time before. They took advantage, like we said. Nicole Billa scored the goal for Austria then. Norway, you put yourself in an eight-goal hole. That was <laughs> the four goals they scored against Northern Ireland were the only goals that they scored over the past two Euros. Is crazy. We don't think about that. Norway has been historically a giant. They've won the Euro before. They've won World Cup before. But this time around, like 2017, they finished bottom of the group. Didn't, didn't score at all. And if you take away the Northern Ireland game, the four goals there, they didn't score in this Euro either. I also saw a point that was being argued. Could Ada Hegerberg's return mess things up a little bit when it came to, like, Team's cohesion and chemistry. I don't know, but that's not a terrible guess. She's one of the best players in the world, yeah. But she wasn't even around for qualifiers and stuff like that, so it might it might kind of you know mess with their heads a little bit. I don't know, but um, wholly unacceptable for Norway. Yeah, it, it's absolutely possible that that may be the case. If I were the coach, I mean, I, I feel like I'd have her in there anyways, as you said, one of the best players in the world, an absolute attacking threat, and I mean. You just even with or without her, you couldn't expect England to whoop your ass eight nothing and really throw you off the rails. Um, I mean, that's humi you know humili humiliation. It takes a lot to come back from that, and there could be a big reason why they co were caught slipping yet again by, as you said, Austria uh, to finish off the group. Be that as it may, they weren't prepared for the tournament. And you you said it best, Austria. We've seen them in tournaments past. I mean, just the last Euro, they found themselves all the way in the semifinal. So they do this when it comes to tournament time. Some nations, despite what you may think of them, 
they just turn up and they know how to do it. And and a lot of folks may have put England on on the sword or to the sword, seeing that they could get caught slipping or bowed to the pressure of everything, especially being that they have their tournament at home. But they delivered, and Norway, another big dog in this group, did not. And Austria came and took advantage of that, if you will. You got to know who you are in this tournament. And unfortunately, Norway did not, it seems. Even, you know, the the Hagerberg uh, thing and all, it, it just kind of shows that to a T. And um, they, Norway weren't even threatening against Austria either. Like, they had a couple of chances late where Manuela Zinsberger was on top of her ship. But other than that, it was like, there was not really much happening for Norway. And like I said, for Beth Mead, if we're doing a best 11, I think Zinsberger would probably be one of the starting goalkeepers. That's how good she's been. All said and done, Norway, they got to hope for welcome qualification, which they're probably going to get. Just hope, you know, you're not trash in that tournament as well. Shall we move on to Group B? Let's do it. Match day two in Group B. Uh, featured the heavyweight matchup of Spain and Germany from London. I didn't see the game at Italy. I saw the highlights. When I saw Germany's first goal, Sandra Paños, an experienced goalkeeper, had herself a whopper of a mistake, literally feeding Germany their first goal. And then just before the half, Alexandra Pop. She scored the second and... Second half was pretty much minute. Spain did start, you know, playing better, but it was another case of too little, too late. Germany comes up with the dub there. Quickly, Denmark, one nothing winners over Finland. Pernella Harder getting the job done there. But yeah, Germany. Yeah, uh, so I did catch this match, and it was an interesting one. And I think with Spain, we'd mentioned last week, maybe they'll be able to carry uh, the loss of a you know, Alexia Poteas, um, I mean, she's not dead or anything, just injured, um, but be able to carry that loss forward and kind of use that as a motivation and, and whatnot. And it seems that they're doing that, but I think at a certain point, things just become a technical part of the match and what they're missing without Jenny Hermoso and Alexia Poteas is starting the show because in this match, I noticed a lot of times that they had the technical ability, the passes, but their final product or when they get into the final third, that's where things started to break apart. And they just couldn't find that that goal or the right pass to kind of, you know, put them to goal or or, or something like that. And Germany, they just happen to be a little more, a bit more direct in their in their approach. I will say that uh Aitana Bomati is a beast. Uh she was she's fun to watch in the midfield, but they, it looks like they're lacking that goal scorer to kind of get on the end of the plays and the and the, the high talent and technicality or the technical level of Spain. And then for Germany, sort of like uh, with England, got to do a bit of walking back. I know I picked them to be favorites, uh, but we were heavy on their head about can they do it? Can they show out, show out and show us that they are the Germany we know them and have known them to be? And three points, uh, three wins from three matches, uh, including the one against Spain, a big match there. They're doing it. And, and, and you love to see it with a clean sheet, especially against a team like Spain as well. But... Yeah, you pretty much describe that match perfectly. And then going into match day three, Germany already winning the group. They took care of Vincent against Finland. And doing so without Lea Scholler, who tested positive for COVID, and Finland were already out. So that was a throwaway game, you could say. So the big match for match day three proved to be Denmark-Spain. Yeah, yeah, I caught this one as well. I think I saw basically all of Spain's tournament except match day. Uh, I, I think I even saw match day one, yeah. So, um, but yeah, th this match was a bit of the same. And 
you see the scoreline and it kind of resonates with what happened or what's happening with Spain. It seems like, again, they've got a good uh, defense. Mapi Leon uh, is there, you know, just a beast of a defender. And so they're, uh, you know, they're solid back there. Um, aside from the mistake that you mentioned, uh, the, their goalkeeping has been pretty good over the course of the tournament thus far. And then the midfield is certified. Again, Bomati is just special. Um, but then there you go. They, they, they pick the ball up and they get into the final thirds and there's not that magic or that bit of, you know, that, that real forward presence to kind of finish things off. They were able to, of course, get the job done against Denmark late as it gets, though. That's what makes and made this match incredible to watch and the tournament, of course, as a whole, because you never know when something like that will kick off. Unfortunately, it was not Denmark's day. Spain will get the goal in the 90th, courtesy of Marta Cardona, and that was all she wrote, folks. A really big win for Spain. You could argue that they snuck this one in, um, but the, for all the work that they do on the ball, they deserve more goals, and they're just not getting that in product, and I'm afraid that that might hurt them going into the knockouts. But that being said, they're there. They made it happen. Their knockout game is against England. Exactly. That's what I'm afraid of. You know, uh, but, while, while at the same time, while I think England won't be putting up five and eight goals on Spain, because, like we said, that Spanish defense is strong. Very solid. Very solid. England's defense is also pretty good as well. They could shut Spain out again. Again, the hope is that they don't. I'm still riding with my favorites until they're out. And I hope it's not against England. But if that's going to be an interesting matchup, to say the least. You mentioned Spain not being able to finish, and that'll be that'll come back to haunt them against England, who we know very well can finish. <laughs> um, but again, I think England likes to play with the ball and you know spread the ball out to their wingers and their wide wide players and and bring things back in. And Spain, as we know, also like to play with the ball. So if they can knock England off their game, uh, if that midfield, that Spanish midfield that we know, you know, plays excellent technically, can kind of keep the ball away from England for a bit, and then they can find that end product, who knows? They might be able to steal one. But exciting, an exciting match. I'm looking forward to that one specifically. Yeah, man. As for Germany, their opponent will be Austria. Austria, like we mentioned, semifinalists last time around. Germany not stopped by Denmark in the quarterfinal last time in 2017. It should be an interesting matchup. They Germans can't sleep on Austria. Absolutely. Austria will continue to look for that finesse. And Germany was going to look to right or wrong of the 2017, crashing out, as you said, to Denmark in the quarterfinals. They might want to put the beats on Austria, so they better prepare themselves. I think Germany has been one of the most solid teams, one of the most direct teams as well. Uh, Austria's got it cut out for them, but again, uh, this is why you love a tournament when it gets to the knockout stages. Uh, the one, one-off one matches, anything can happen. It feels like a final. It's, it's an interesting set of quarterfinal matchups, and that's just one half of the quarterfinals. The other half features Group C and Group D. Match day two in Group C. So uh, the Netherlands come out on top 3-2 against Portugal, and it was worth noting that this performance was done without Vivian Miedema, who caught COVID. And Sweden, they come out 2-1 winners over Switzerland. Fidolina Rolfo and Hannah Benison scoring the two goals. Yeah, the uh, defending champions in Netherlands continue to find a way to do it. No Miedema, I'm sure, expressed <laughs> overly how much I, I like her game. 
well wishes there, of course. But when you miss a player like that who, who kind of contributes in every way, your team does kind of have to reshape itself. But the good thing about Netherlands is that they bring on firepower off the bench and it makes an instant impact. So their team as a whole plays like champions. Um, and we saw that in, in their match week two uh, against Portugal. And then uh, again, obviously, match day three, which we can get to. But Netherlands, let's I think... Get, let's get into it. Wait, go ahead. Yeah, so, so if we go into uh, match day three for Netherlands, uh, they went ahead after their win against Portugal, which was 3-2. They kind of uh, they played a Switzerland team, as Ronnie said off the pod, should have probably won this match <laughs> based on the way they played. Um, but the scoreline really doesn't reflect it at all. 4-1, four, four Netherlands were the winners. Not at all. That scoreline was a bit flattering for someone who didn't watch this game and saw the um, scoreline. Most of their goals come from, like, the 80th minute on. There was an own goal that occurred just after the start of halftime. But right after that, the Swiss equalized. And they looked a lot more threatening. They looked like they could get the goal and see the defending champions out at the group stage. But the whole front three were subbed out. Playing in the place of Miedema was Lenef Bierenstein, the player who was trying to get the most chances for the Netherlands. There was even a moment where she drew a penalty, but when VAR looked at the replay, the Swiss goalkeeper got all ball and they reversed the decision. Lika Martins who was the best player at the Euro 2017, she was a non-factor. She might as well have not played at all. And then Danielle van den Donk, they were, the front three just weren't really doing anything. And they subbed out the front three, and the subs came out with the goals. And the subs pretty much gave the Dutch the victory, 4-1. So yeah. now you're yeah. in a predicament yeah. where if you're the Dutch, you're probably expecting Niedema back to the quarterfinal, which isn't until Saturday. She should be ready for then. Do you tinker with the lineup again? Do you – obviously, you're going to put Niedema in the starting lineup, but your, your two um, wingers, how are you going to do it? Is Mika Martin, yeah. the non-factor, going to be back on there? Are you going to replace her with one of the sons? Are you going to switch things up? So they're in a bit of a bind right there. Real, real quick before you get on the Netherlands, like like we said, um, Switzerland has a little hard done by with this result. Absolutely. To get your heart broken in the way that they did, because every single goal that Netherlands scored, goals two, three, and four, came after the 84th minute. Fergie time, as they say. And I can understand how deflating that might be. So you're absolutely right. They'd be hard done. It's not like Switzerland didn't play well throughout the tournament, but that third place finish really must hurt because... I don't know. They didn't deserve to go out the way they went out. Now, that could also be kudos to Netherlands, who made the adjustments and they worked. Oh, no, it did work, but the fact that it took you to the 80th, 85th minute, like I said, you got to ask questions. Now you're in a bind where you got to look at your squad. They got to reevaluate them a lot more closely. Yeah, now, now with that, so with that, uh, for me, it kind of feels like uh, this is a team. Uh, obviously that won the previous Euro and if they're getting productivity from their bench in that fashion, when things aren't working for their front 11 as a coach, that's exactly what you want. You want to be able to make the adjustments when your starters that you trust to start aren't having their day or things aren't working for them. 
And then you call on your bench who you know can also have an instant impact. Um, it may definitely cause a dilemma, but if I'm Mark Parsons, I think I'm reassured by that. I, I know that if my front 11 isn't producing like I want them to, that then I can you know, bring folks off the bench, be it one, two, or three straight up subs like in this match and, and feel assured that you know they could make something happen. This also kind of drives the place, the the place for comp, um, the competition for places. But I mean, again, to your point, it could out, uh, absolutely bring some drama, if you will, if the players let it. But if the coaches has the uh, you know has the players buying in, then I think this is only a good thing, in my opinion. I mean, it can be, but if we bring it back to Afcon, all you had were Vincent Abubakar and Karatoko Akambi. You had no one else doing anything, and they got knocked out in the semifinal. You need your pieces to do work, at least the players who you do trust. Martins in particular, she just, you know, she just hasn't been around this tournament. Like, I don't know what it is. But I see your point, but it's something that needs to be addressed by the Dutch. Otherwise, France, who have a bit of issues themselves, specifically um, Katoto being out, might capitalize on that. I don't know. It, yeah, but it's possible. Um, but through the three games that so far in the Euro, the Netherlands have had a number of different uh, goal scorers. And it's not just the goals. I understand what you're saying. But it looks like, you know, folks are getting on the board as best they can. To your point again, the the trusted folks are, are the ones that don't seem to be getting on the board, except for uh, Miedema, who, instead of scoring, is basically setting up and playing that creative role. But we shall see. I mean, it could be good things for Netherlands, could be bad things. I mean, if they're champions, they may be able to persevere. But then again, knock, the knockout round is a different beast. These are one-off matches where if you're not on on your day, you could get bounced out, like you said, by a, a French team who is uh, on and popping. But uh, to top off Group C, uh, Sweden... Oh, they ran through Portugal. Been, yeah. <laughs> who absolutely cooked Portugal, as Ronnie just said, uh, on the final match day. 5-0 with everybody and their mama getting goals. Uh, Felipe Agnendal started the scoring with a brace in the first half. Uh, that would be followed by, oof, a terrible own goal from Portugal to cap off the first half. Uh, Kosovar Aslani in the 54th would score from the spot. And then to make it 5-0, Stina Blackstinius, the one that folks are scared of, if you will, uh, capped things off with a goal in the 90th plus one. Me, I am folks. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, but absolutely steamrolled Portugal, a team who I think is another one, just like Switzerland, this Group C, uh, the teams that ended up in the bottom half, Switzerland and Portugal, they played well, if, if you will, or tried to play well, but just were absolutely steamrolled at points. And, you know, it, things did not go their way. Uh, so Switzerland would finish in third place, Portugal in fourth, with Sweden topping the group, and then the Netherlands in second place. Shall we finish with Group D, Ronnie? You already yes. mentioned France and their injury issues. Oof. Yes, um, we are recording this on Sunday, so their set of match day threes isn't until Monday. France will play Iceland, and Italy will play Belgium. And what we basically said was Charlotte. France, and then a three-way battle for second, which is what we have now. France won the group. They're through, like we said, they'll play the Netherlands. They beat Belgium 2-1 on match day two. Iceland and Italy saw themselves settle a 1-1 draw there in Manchester. 
Iceland are currently in the pole position for second place on two points, while Belgium and Italy each have a point. All three of those teams can make it out the group. Uh, Iceland, uh, they're currently the better team of the three, if I'm being completely honest, just off of the first two games of the competition. I'm still going to hold my guns and, can, and go with what I picked earlier with Italy. And the game against Iceland, Italy showed that they can, they can deliver. It's just a matter of when and how. Yeah. I was going to ask, um, which team do you feel will be the most disappointed if they don't finish in second place based on the way that they've been playing? Iceland. But the issue with them is that they are playing friends, and there's not a guarantee win there. So even if they lose Iceland, they could still advance with the help of a draw in this game right here between Belgium and Italy. And the draw has to be a scoreless draw. If it's like a 2-2 draw and they lose, you have to beat France. Um, I feel like that might have happened. It's just a high-scoring game between Belgium and Italy. But I feel like they would be the most disappointed. I mean, they all will, but the most disappointment would be Iceland if they don't make it out the group. We'll see. I'm like I said, I'm still gonna hold on to the to Italy just for the fact that that's what I said to begin. But Iceland has just been the better of the three. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree. I think you hit it on the head best. France plus three is what this group is called. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. France plus three. Um, Aside from that, yeah, uh, I think that kind of does it for this past week's Euros. As as you mentioned, there are the final matches of Group D still to play, which will happen on uh, Monday, and then that should uh, shape up the quarterfinals. Yes, we only have one matchup left to figure out, and that's Sweden versus whoever comes out in second in this group. We'll see how things go. The quarterfinal of the Women's European Championship begins on Wednesday, and we are here for that. Women's AFCON, shall we? Yeah, I admittedly, again, didn't catch too much of it. I tried to get into following it, but uh, I didn't do the best of job. So, Ronnie, by all means, take it away, big man. I'm chalking it up to Dean Sports. Um, yeah, we boycott. That's the reason why we don't watch Liga, and that's the reason why I didn't watch La Liga for many a year. <laughs> <laughs> the semifinals are set. Morocco defeated Botswana 2-1 on home soil. And Zambia needed penalties to beat Cameroon. And the game-winning penalty was scored by Hazel Nali, the goalkeeper. Oh, this wasn't a penalty shooter that was that long with the goalkeeper needed to shoot. No, 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 no. The goalkeeper was the fifth shooter for Zambia. Uh, we love to see a goalkeeper doing doing his thing or doing her thing in any penalty shootout. But I respect the yeah. guts. I respect the guts. So it's worth pointing those out because Morocco and Zambia will be competing at the Women's World Cup next summer. Their wins secured their qualifications. And the other two teams from Africa who earned direct places to the World Cup or two teams who have been there previously. South Africa defeated Tunisia, and Nigeria defeated Cameroon, both by the scores of one nothing. They will be in the World Cup in Australia and New Zealand come this time next year. 
the semifinals see Morocco versus Nigeria and Zambia versus South Africa. Uh, thoughts on the Women's World Cup qualifiers in Africa? I know you didn't see much, but just the thought of Zambia making their debut as is Morocco, Nigeria, back at it again, and South Africa. Yeah, no, um, you love to see a team making their debut, of course. And another quick point for me, uh, I enjoyed seeing Botswana uh, all up in there as well. Getting their ass whooped, no doubt, but uh, they uh, picked up losses in the last week and a half to South Africa, to Morocco, and then today, day of recording, to Cameroon, who are on a red card. Uh, so kudos to y'all, Botswana. With a pretty-looking flag at the very least. And the predictable competition, the CONCACAF W Championship. USA-Canada, that's tomorrow night. Is it USA and keep it pushing, or are you going Canada like me? And listen, I like the idea of rocking with Canada, and that's exactly what I will do. I'm rocking with you and Canada. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> Woo! You see, when it comes to LV, you expect him to, like, switch it up. I specifically remember this guy talking about why England would lose to Germany, and the words verbatim was, which is exactly why I'm picking England to win this one. So, yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. And did they win? They did win. <laughs> <laughs> the logic makes no sense, but it makes sense. And the winner of that final, USA and Canada, will earn a direct spot to the Olympics. Hey. Canada are the defending gold medalists. So the defending Olympic champions and the defending World Cup winners. I saw, I just want to give a quick shout out. I saw a player, Carson Pickett, I think was her name. And she started on Tuesday night for the USWNT against Columbia in a final friendly, it was a final friendly match ahead of that, I guess. But she became the first player with limb difference to appear uh, for the USWNT. I think she has a, like a slight, she was born with, without part of her left arm. And she made her first ever cap. Really nice to see. This was a while ago, but still. Yes. She wasn't called up to the W championship, but hey, man, if she continues to cook it up to North Carolina, the hope is she can make this team. Boom, pow. And probably for the World Cup next summer, which the U.S. women will be at. And again, we are going for Canada. Ooh. And then <laughs> we're going for Canada. And that leaves Copa America. There's Still in the group stage, Brazil has secured a perfect start so far. The only side to do so other than the host, Colombia, in Group A. In this case, whoever makes it to the final, as well as the winner of third place, will advance to the World Cup. So we should wait and see how things go. Oh, and the Olympics as well. So, And I think Venezuela is also still unbeaten thus far. You are right. They still are. They're on six points. How can I forget? Venezuela is my team that I think will qualify for the World Cup directly. I think they will qualify. There's three teams that will make it out. Brazil, I think. Venezuela, I think. And I want to see Argentina. They might go through intercontinentals. And I do want to see Colombia. They're the host. And our Colombian correspondent, my name is I like if you say no, but we'll see. That tournament is still in its group stage. That being said, we will talk more about this next time around. Until then, what do I talk about? 
Um, I guess there were a couple of transfers, things that happened, things that haven't happened, things that might happen. Yeah, we'll discuss. Um, and as we mentioned, in the Premier League Big Six, they're just swapping players. Hey, you want this one? I'll give you some money for that. Yeah, you want this guy? Sure. Uh, two of which, Arsenal and Man City, seem to have been in uh, heavy business with, with one another. Man City kind of wheeling and dealing, actually. Uh, as we saw Gabriel Jesus a little bit ago make his move from the blue side of Manchester to the red side of North London. I think it's a good move for him, in my opinion. I think it can give him a chance to get back to being a proper number nine. We know Pep Guardiola has had him every which way and any which way on the Except front the three. Nine. Except the number nine. <laughs> exactly. Well said, Ronnie. I thought about you um, as a striker, but you put your main striker in other positions. Like, of course you don't. Unbelievable. The guy hasn't been able to play at the number nine for a couple of years. Understandably, when he first came in, Sergio Aguero was the dominant number nine. I get that. True. Um, but but yeah, as you said, Ronnie, they've been having quote unquote striker issues for years. Doesn't seem to be affecting them too much. But Gabriel Jesus was not considered to be one. He, I guarantee, will probably be considered as such uh, at Arsenal. They are in dire need or have been in dire need of a striker since Aubameyang left and Alakazet did basically some of the same. Gabriel Jesus, a pretty big pickup. Now, as I said, Man City still wheeling and dealing. Uh, two only big six teams, I guess, it makes sense. Uh, Raheem Sterling, another player who has been, I guess, uh, fighting for minutes, uh, not getting the chance that he feels like he deserves over, you know, maybe a Jack Grealish or a Phil Foden or a Riyad Mahrez, uh, was dealt to Chelsea. An interesting one, I think, in my opinion. He's not someone who finishes the best. However, he does somehow finish uh, a season with 16, 17 goals in the Prem. So can be an asset for a team like Chelsea. They do have wing play already, if, uh, if you ask me. They are a team that, after the Romelu-Lukaku debacle and even before, then needed a number nine. Raheem Sterling is not that, but he is quite the winger. Uh, Speaking of Lukaku, his loan back to Milan was signed, sealed, and delivered. And to a point a, where he made his regrets for leaving Inter Milan in the first place. And as a Juventus fan, I'm sure that you can appreciate a good finesse when you see one. Uh, obviously, you support the club that finessed Manchester United out of Paul Paul, but twice uh, and were paid $90 million in exchange. Uh, Basically, a loan deal that was, you know, properly finessed. A five-year loan deal, which we, which we <laughs> uh, Inter Milan doing a bit of the same to Chelsea. Uh, obviously, sold Lukaku to Chelsea for a hundred million pounds or around that much, and uh, paid ten million uh, to receive him back for a loan fee. And if you're looking at the math, uh, I'm no math expert, but that's a ninety million pound uh, in the positive for Inter Milan there to get their striker back, who helped them win a Serie A title. Uh, Chelsea do have. As I said, plenty of business on the table, as do many other clubs, Ronnie. Any, uh, anything that, that, that's been catching your eye? Uh, maybe Chelsea got Koulibaly. Oh, they did, Koulibaly. Yes, you're right. You're absolutely right. Chelsea looking to uh, snatch uh, Na- Napoli center-back extraordinaire and Senegal center-back extraordinaire. It's not that they're looking to do it. They did it. Ouch. I guess it hurts even more when you, meant, when you put it like that. Quite the center-back... <laughs> Quite the centre-back uh, pickup, if you ask me. Chelsea, as we know, and as you mentioned off the pod, have shipped most of their back line off to Spain, be it Rudiger or Christensen. <laughs> you know, so uh, Kulibada, I think, is a big addition. 
Uh, he's still up there as far as center backs go in the world. I would argue that he should have been in the Premier League a couple of years ago, but here he is now in Chelsea, just bolstering that back line. I think that's a pretty sweet pickup when you replace him with Rudiger, who has been on fire this past season. Kulubali ain't no slouch either. As we know, Napoli uh, were fighting for that Scudetto basically the entire season until they fell off late, disappointing Diego Maradona yet again. Neither here nor there. I would say let's stick in Italy. We have been seeing a bit of movement. Bernadeschi is going to Toronto FC, and I don't know what it is about Toronto. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of Italians in Toronto specifically, but they're building a Serie A all-star team. They absolutely are. And I think it's such a good look for Toronto and the MLS as a whole. They're not picking up old stars that are you know, done and dusted. They're taking guys that are ready to go. And they've been doing this for years, I guess. If you go so far back as Sebastian Giovinco, who was not that old when he left for the MLS as well. But here's another Bernard addition. Bernadeschi is only 28. That's, that's huge, you know. And Bernadeschi is someone that I've always liked his game going back to Fiorentina. I uh, love that, man. Yeah, he's such a good baller. I mean, he, at Juventus, I feel like he would have been a star. Were it not for one uh, Federico Chiesa. <laughs> Bernadeschi's been there way before Chiesa. But right. I think he was a star. He was, I would say he was a star, not the biggest, but he was one. Absolutely. I, I, I've always liked this game, as I said, and that's a big pickup for Toronto. So kudos to Toronto, wheeling and dealing in Serie A. Who do they know? It's Italian. Um, Romagnoli is going from Milan to Lazio. Underrated, and I think that is a big pickup for Lazio. Yeah, that's actually, yeah, that's big news right there on the Serie A front, um, especially for AC Milan, who, as we know, won the Scudetto. Uh, Romagnoli was a, a big piece in that. Um, and to ship him to Lazio, who, for the most part of the season, were competing at least for top four, uh, making things more interesting. You love to see it. You love to see Absolutely. it. Absolutely. I, I actually love that pickup. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that bolsters that team even more. A team that I it think wasn't a pickup players... I was expecting. Yeah, likewise. I didn't know it until you just said it, to be honest. And that's why we do this. <laughs> um... Elsewhere. Uh, we mentioned Sadio Mane to Bayern Munich, obviously. but. Uh, a player that is currently on Bayern that may not be for much longer. Robert Lewandowski went as far as, you know, going on his Instagram and sharing a, uh, a heartfelt message to the Bayern Munich faithful. Eight years he's been there, won everything from the uh, DFB Pokal to the Bundesliga title to the Champions League, you name it. Uh, he has had his heart set on Barcelona, and it looks like it's going to happen. My main question, Ronnie, is... How are Barcelona paying for this? I want to say Spotify. I want to say they're printing money like uh, like the U.S. government. I honestly couldn't tell you even if I tried. The Lewandowski deal looks to be all but confirmed. Not only that, they also re-signed Usman Dembele, and they signed Rafinha for the same position. Who, who else did they sign this summer? They signed a shitload of players. They signed Kessie. Well, they, they signed Christensen. They offloaded Clement Longley on the loan deal to Spurs. Which uh, I think is a decent pickup. Uh, I won't be too overly excited if I were a Spurs fan. Um, yeah, things what it did is Jose Mourinho says. Trincao went to Tigre Mourinho. Did he get he got chatted? Yes, and I can't lie. As corny as it was, I just love and respect it. I, I respect it too. Because I look like a man who doesn't get tattoos for shit. They and the need to let people said, know. Respect. 
Yeah, and the caption he said is someone that only one person on earth could do. I'm like, wow, he ain't lying there. <laughs> Look at that. But yeah, they also offloaded Trincaus on a loan deal to Sporting Club de Portugal. Back to Portugal and, as well. And they're still desperately trying to get rid of Frankie de Jong. They're telling Frankie de Jong, hey, listen, man, we need this, man. We need it. Just go, please. I'm honestly not mad at de Jong, though. He's Damn. trying to fulfill his contract. What's wrong with a player fulfilling their contract? Yeah, absolutely. But I'm, it's also interesting. I know he Barcelona's in his in his heart and his sights, but things have not been the best for him there. And he has an opportunity to link back up with a manager that he had his best spell under. I mean, it doesn't seem like the worst idea. Obviously, going to Man United, you're going from playing in the oh, Champions League no, no, no. to the You're right. Now. You're absolutely right. But is the young one to stick around? I get both sides. If, if anything, yeah. Barcelona and, and Man United agreed to a deal already. They're just waiting yeah. on personal terms, which is like, personal terms my ass, I'm not staying. I mean, I'm not leaving. Yeah, and if, if personal terms are any indicator, we saw with Rafinha at Leeds, um, he, you know, Leeds had agreements with Arsenal and Chelsea, allegedly, and he was like, I'm going to Barcelona, guys. I don't know what to tell you. So <laughs> I don't know what you guys agreed, but it doesn't matter to me. And he ended up going to Barcelona. So we, we'll see what pans out with Frankie De Jong. It is what it is for him. But I'm, it looks like Barcelona is saying, bro, we need this money, man. You, you have to go. Please. <laughs> I, mean, I got to pay rent. So we'll see what happens with that. Any other transfers on the menu that we have yet to discuss? I feel like there are some bigger ones that we haven't talked about, but I could be mistaken. I'll go, through, I'll go through some eye-catching ones very quick. Some of them might fall under the radar because of the teams involved. Some of them we just didn't talk about because we already spoke about a lot. Wayne Hennessy to Nottingham Forest. Wow. I mean, it looks like Nottingham Forest is just taking every keeper on earth. I mean, Hennessy's a big one. We talked about his uh, international performances as of late. I think they just secured Dean Henderson on the loan, if I'm not mistaken. That's also a big pickup. Nottingham Forest, Nottingham, building from the back. Nottingham Forest are building a team that can try to compete. Uh, they signed Omar Richards from Bayern. They got Nico Williams from Liverpool. They're also signing players from the Bundesliga as well. You mentioned Dean Henderson. So it's a Nottingham Forest team that looks like they're building to stick around in the Premier League. Um, Christian Eriksen to Manchester United. Oh, yes, that's a big one. Thank you for bringing that one up. Uh, I know Spurs fans wanted him back at Spurs, but I just didn't feel like it would happen. I don't know. But here he is back at Old Trafford. And um, despite him being on another rival Premier League team, I hope he plays his best season. You know, I want him to play well. Um, and he deserves that much. And if United gets that much out of him, then kudos to them as well. I know he wanted to be playing in Europe. And Brentford could not give that to him. But and United at least will. Something that Cristiano Ronaldo does not seem to be appreciated. I remember him. I, I listen to Luis Nani. Just, just to have Man United. It's the Europa League. One year in the Europa League is not going to kill you like that. And if you think about it, think of the Europa League teams who are qualified. Think about all the places you go. They're, they're going to sell out their venues because they want a piece of Ronaldo. Think about the Nantes. Think about the Locomotive Plus Div. Think oh, about... goodness. <laughs> think, Ronaldo think about going to... <laughs> think about a Manchester United away game to... The hearts of Midlothian. Oh my goodness. Partizan Belgrade. Playing oh, against Trabonspor. 
Oh wait, Travis yeah. Sport won the won the Super League. They're in the Champions League this year. Oh my fault. Something <laughs> <laughs> that he can't say for now. First time in in thirty years. Goodness gracious. Yeah. But no, yeah, get your point. Though, like, <laughs> but think about it. Like, there's the market going to be the market's going to be there for you. So I I would in all seriousness though, I just want that no one wants them. Just stick around, fam. Yeah, it's very interesting times for one Cristiano Ronaldo. We'll see what uh, his super fans say on the internet. You know, there are millions. Oh, they're going to eviscerate the shit out of me for even suggesting this. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Trabon Spore could never. <laughs> yeah, neither here nor there. Message um, also, I, lastly, from Fenerbahce to Istanbul, but to here. Okay, he's moving around Turkey. Much respect to him. Uh, keep on keeping on, Mesut Ozil. Uh, legend of the game, if you will. Oh. We didn't mention Di Maria to Juve, which is a huge pickup. I know age is a bit of an issue, but he could still produce Di Maria. And it's also a deal, you know, getting ready for the World Cup. So I'm not mad at that one. Luka Jovic to Fiorentina. I feel like the Jovic project at Madrid was just so not according to plan. And I feel like at Fiorentina, he will be their star man. And Fiorentina, I feel, are going to be competing for Europe at the very least conference league. So we'll see. I think that's a good pickup for Fiorentina. Yeah, this is his chance to continue to redeem his career. Obviously, we know it didn't go too well at Real Madrid uh, after he left Eintracht Frankfurt, I believe it was. So, yeah, good chance yeah. for him to bring his career back. Uh, elsewhere, any other transfers that you'd like to discuss before we get to that time, our favorite time of the week? Unless you want to talk about players going from the Peruvian League to MLS. If you, if you want to talk about that, we can. Otherwise, I think it's that time. I'm pushing the BS of the Week button with the quickness. Peruvian players and this, that, and the third. Oof, yeah, I think it's that time of the week. <laughs> no disrespect. Nobody is doing like what some journalists do when they write bullshit. Wow, you are afraid to say it, but it's all bullshit stories. What is it? Most of the times, it's uh, it's bullshit. <laughs> so, <laughs> talk to Washington Corroso, who went from Sporting Cristal to Austin FC. Um, I honestly don't have any BS of the week. If it's not work, it's been the Women's Euro and the Women's Tournament. I've been too connected to that. As well as some of the preseason friendlies. I've talked about America and Chelsea play as well as Benfica putting a five spot on Fulham. So, um, <laughs> I'll give you, right? So I'll give you the BS of the week for the week. What is um, any BS of the week you may have? Okay, sit back and enjoy. Last week I talked about match fixing in the, uh, on the African continent on the club level. Now, I was hoping that would be the only 
match fixing that I have to talk about. Alleged match fixings, I should say, on the African continent, on the club level. However, if 90 plus goals in a match wasn't enough to be considered match fixing, uh, this week we've got some actual footage and uh, could be even more egregious. I don't know. Now, on the club level, this was in the country of Nigeria by a club known as Remo Stars, uh, who were playing in the Ogun State FA Cup final against Ijebu United on, uh, this was Thursday of the past week. Now the match ended up going to penalties as match uh, matches do, as finals do. You know, makes things interesting. Now, rather than score 100 goals and make it blatant, uh, they decided to wait until the last minute during the penalty shootout to ensue alleged match fixing which I should mention at this point, they still deny ever occurred. Now, if you watch the footage, you'll see uh, both teams, of course, lining up to take their penalties. You've got the keeper of uh, Ijebu United lining up there. Uh, and the, one of the uh, penalty kicks takers of Remo Stars lining up at the spot. What happens next uh, was uh, unreal, if you will. It looked like their, whoever was controlling him's controller on PS5 just died there and sent it uh, sent it to heaven. Uh, but instead of going over the goal or off the post or directly to the keeper, uh, the Remo Stars penalty kick taker ran up to the spot kick, kicked the ball as far as he could in the opposite direction, if you will. Uh, I mean, this ball went so far the goal, it could have been called for a throw-in, not even a corner kick. Let that sink in. Bruh! <laughs> <laughs> That wasn't enough. The Remo Stars keeper decided to uh, use a, a tactic that I, I've also not seen much before uh, in order to try and save a penalty kick. Uh, and this tactic was him just standing dead on the spot uh, in the center of the goal as the uh, Ijebu United uh, spot kick taker slotted into the bottom right. He looked at it like, oh, look at that. I guess we're taking penalties, are we? Remo Stars would lose this uh, this penalty kick shootout, of course. I'm sorry, yes, I'm sorry to cut you off, but can I see the part about the penalty that just really blew my mind? It was like, you know, like there's times where a player will just fire a rocket in the top corner and the goalkeeper has literally nothing to do but just sit there and stand and just watch it go past him. That was a little dribbler on the bottom right corner of the goal, fam, and the keeper didn't do shit. He could have stopped it three times if he wanted to. He looked at it like, well, I think it's going to go to the left. Yep, it's going to the left. And sure enough, it went left, and he went nowhere. <laughs> so clearly, the Rainbow Stars were doing this on purpose. If you can't tell that from the video footage, I don't know what to tell you. Look at a different sport. Um, but, of course, uh, officials from Rainbow Stars had plenty to say and said that this is not match-fixing. Any journalists that are saying that it is match-fixing are just reading the headlines and are being clickbaity. Um, they said that in fact it was a stand against the officiating, which they've dealt with and felt many times uh, again in the Ogun State FA. So they said they decided to make a stand or make a statement. And I'm thinking, fam, yeah, I. <laughs> that ain't the way so to do you, it. So you lose the match to make a statement? In a way which was unreal, if you will. My man's homered. That was a home run, uh, 460 yards, 
uh, into the you know deep left center field, <laughs> missed the whole, <laughs> missed the goal, and then some. Uh, so, a real wild way to make a statement, if you will. Uh, Ogun FC, or I should say, Remo Stars FC. BS of the week. The match fixing is incredible. I, I mean, I'm enjoying the the uh, the spectacle of it all, but goodness gracious, y'all are wild. I have one more BS of the week, a quick one. This one, I guess you could call it whatever you want. How, however, the I guess the instance in which this happened was uh, quite interesting. Uh, in a Canadian Premier League match, something I've never seen before. Uh, a match between HFX Wanderers and uh, Valor FC. Early on in the match, Valor's Alessandro Riggi had a chance on goal, uh, a bit of a poke around uh, against the keeper. Boom, pow. Ball is headed into the net, trickling, if you will. Not very fast, pretty slow. And in this moment, we've seen many a time in football where a defender will come in, last gasp, clear the ball off the lines, heroic save, keep his team on the uh, level on the score sheet. Uh, but that would not happen this time. On top of that, the ball would not uh, cross the line, I guess depending on which angle you look at it. Instead of a uh, defender clearing the ball or the keeper clearing the ball, uh, Valor forward, uh, William Akio, teammate of Alessandro Rigi, who made this chance to go up 1-0, uh, Akio pulls up and... <laughs> Goes ahead and kicks the ball as hard as he can in an a, a apparent attempt to celebrate. Like, boom, pow, we, we done did it. Goal, 1-0, celebration. However, the problem here comes uh, because he kicks the ball and sends it all the way out of bounds, out of the goal line. It looked like a, a last-ditch save, a goal line clearance. The problem being, this is his teammate, William Akio. I mean, hey, I understand you got excited. And maybe the ball did cross the line and VAR was not your friend or goal line technology was not your friend on the day. But the way it looked, I've never seen anything like it before. My man's hated on his own fellow forward. He said, you're not about to score today. Not on my watch. <laughs> Big BS of the week. And on top of that, he was allegedly uh, moved to a different team just today. Could be a coincidence. Maybe not. Uh, at the end of the day, something I've never seen before. Unbelievable stuff. William Akio, formerly of Valor FC, BS of the week. Uh, just pick the ball up out of the net after he scores, fam. Next time, don't do a Deshaun Jackson. What Those team is y'all know? He was moved from Valor FC to Ross County FC. They they moved him away from the entire continent. That's how crazy the move was. No key. That's a step up from the, from the, C, the um, CPL to the Scottish Trump. And they might have moved them from forward to center back with that last ditch save. <laughs> Those are my two BSs of the week. And before I can find another one, Ronnie, would you like to go ahead and sign the boys off for episode 103? I got to thank you all for being a part of this episode 103 of the Football Misfits podcast. We thank you all for listening and rapping with us. We very much appreciate it. Episode 104. We will have that for you right around the corner. For Mr. LV, I go by the name of Ronnie. We will see you then. Stay strong, be brave. Adios, everyone. Woo-hoo.